Well, hey, y'all, how you doing? Everybody good? All right, good deal. Looks like we've got the volunteers here today, right? So, all right. Um, first of all, let me say how proud we are of Brandon and Leah and, and the leadership they've provided uh, here at New Post Church and, and, and how proud we are to see you guys in this building. Uh, this, was, this is a major accomplishment for you. And um, it's just, I don't know, it's just, God's going to move here in a tremendous way. I got some things I want to say as I go through this. I want you to know that if you, if you stay for both, uh, the 11 o'clock is probably going to be rather different uh, than this hour because I want to take this hour and I want to talk to you. Uh, at 11 o'clock, I'm going to preach a sermon to a church. Uh, right, now I'm, right, now I'm, right now, I want to talk to the leaders here and I want to talk to you about what I think... Uh, well. Honestly, this is something God's been taking me through recently, is this idea of identity that is, that is centered on what God has for us, not on what we think we have for us, or on what we think we deserve, or on what we think we don't deserve, or it's, none, of that, none of that plays. All of it is about what God has planned. Somebody say amen. amen. Y'all got to talk back to me a little bit, all right? So, all right, this is, uh, anyway, talk back to me. Uh, Moses is a great character for me. And, 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 and I got to tell you why. I, I, Moses, what Moses accomplishes in his life is um, just superhuman. If you really think through it, uh, uh, Moses wrote the law, which, by the way, did not just lead the nation of Israel to become a great nation. You still read it today. The Ten Commandments are one of the most accepted portions of Scripture still yet today, and we're probably 3,500 to 4,000 years removed from when Moses wrote it down. And, and that's, just, that's just incredible. That's, that's stunning. Secondly, let's talk in terms of leadership. Moses took a group of slaves. I don't think people really understand this. You take the nation of Israel, you've got a nation of slaves who have not even decided yet what their meal plan will be because that's been imposed on them by the Egyptians. They've not decided what their work plan will be because it's been imposed on them. They've not decided what their organizational structure will be because that's been imposed on them. Moses takes this group. He has one advantage. They're already split up into tribes. And so he takes this group, divides them out into 12 tribes, the 12 tribes take the leadership they know to take, and they move out in the desert. He moves a nation of people. I don't know if you realize this. Many scholars believe that when they left, when they left Egypt, there were upwards of a million people that left Egypt with Moses. Now, just pause just a minute. Think of the logistics of moving a million people from one city to another. Just, just think of that. We're going to relocate a million people to another city. The, the, the logistics of that are mind-blowing. Now, consider those same logistics, except you're going to take that million people and you're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years. You're not going to have a city to go to. You, you guys think it was rough to set up and tear down every Sunday for like 100 years before you got in this building? Yes. Think about them. They set up an entire city every time they moved. I, I, I have in my mind that, you know, they, we always think how awesome it is. You know, the, the, the Spirit of God settles in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the daytime. And, and when they, whenever the pillar of cloud lifted, the children of Israel got ready. To, and we always think how awesome that is. Oh, God's moving. They, yeah, I think they were going, oh, really? 
God's moving now. Could we stay here another month or two? My cucumbers are just getting good. You know what I'm saying? So, so there, there's this constant movement. There's this constant. There is, he takes a, a, a group of slaves and turns them into a nation that before his death is feared by every other nation around them. I mean, it's incredible. But let me tell you what's cool about the Bible. The Bible does not give us these, these impossible heroes that are basic demigods like other religious structures do. The Bible does not give us a Thor who somehow has the power to control electricity. You know, the Bible does not give us Zeus. The Bible gives us a God in heaven who empowers human beings to do things beyond their natural capacity. The Bible gives us a Moses who is not cut out for the job God has given him, who is not qualified. You would not, if you, if you let, let, let's decide. We're going to elect a leader, and we're going to elect a leader of the Israelites to lead us out of Egypt Moses wouldn't make it through the primaries. You understand that, right? Are y'all okay? Is it okay if I say something a little bit political like primaries? Yeah. All right. Moses wouldn't make it out of the primaries. He was a murderer. He was a failure. Sure, he started out in the palace, but then he killed somebody for God knows why. Well, God knows why, and so does Moses, but nobody else understood it. And off he ran, and he, he, he ran off to Midian. He, he didn't even stay with us. He's not even a citizen here anymore. He's a Midianite. And then and, and now he's married somebody from over there. He's got this whole thing. He was a shepherd. By the way, time out. You realize that in, is, in Israeli history, in Israelite history, shepherding was considered the perfect training ground for being a king. Being a shepherd was the training ground for being a king. Why? Because you had to take care of of a flock that could not take care of itself and would do things that were unusual, unexpected, and, un, dare I say, intelligent. <laughs> and uh, you had to take care of them and protect them from... You, you had to be willing to give your life for sheep. And if you were willing to give your life for sheep, you would surely be willing to give your life for your own people. Being a shepherd became the perfect training ground for a king because that's what they saw Moses do. How does a man who is unqualified for the role, who is not a demigod, who is broken, who is confused, who is weak in his own sense, do something as superhuman as what Moses accomplished in his life? Well, let me settle it. It's not about Moses' own capacity. You know, today's leaders, I think, I, I think today's leaders, there's this arrogance around society today where people that end up in, in, in bold leadership spots, they have this I can, I did, I this, I that, I, I, I. Moses wasn't like that. Moses, Moses truly didn't believe he could do it. And I think if we are going to learn to follow God properly, we've got to begin with this phrase. We've got to know ourselves. You got to know yourself. You got to know yourself. Moses did know himself. It says here in, Do in Exodus chapter 4 verses 10 through 13, it says, Moses said to the Lord, because God has shown up in this burning bush, right? 
And, 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 and God, has, God, God, has, God has begun to speak through this fire that's not consuming this tree, this bush. God, God, God is beginning to speak to Moses, and he's already told him, take off your sandals, and all of this is happening, and he's told Moses, now this is what I want you to do. And Moses is going, ah, yeah. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. In other words, I don't talk well, Lord. Nobody's going to listen to me because I don't say things right. Some people, some, some scholars believe that he had a stuttering issue. I don't know what it was, but many of us would say, I can't speak in front of crowds. Many of us would say, I, I'm not eloquent. I can't, I can't give a speech. I can't do this, that, or the other thing. And then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Wow, what a question. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or, or makes them blind? If not I, the Lord, is it not I, the Lord? He says, now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, listen to his words. Okay, let me cut to the chase. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That's the issue. The issue is really not that he's not eloquent. Now, it may not be. Maybe he does stutter. Maybe he can't put a thought together. Maybe he can't say things the way he, he, he should. Maybe, maybe all of that's true. But in the end, what it is is Moses doesn't want to do this because Moses doesn't feel he is capable of doing this. Have you ever walked away from something just because you didn't feel like you were capable of accomplishing it? And that's what Moses is trying to do, but God's not going to let him. Here's the thing. You must know yourself. But listen, don't be trapped by what you know. And notice that I put the word know in, in quotation marks here because what you know about you is not a complete image of you. Do you understand that? I need, I, okay, for the camera guy. I'm going to walk out of screen, out of frame for this service. I might even sit down on the front of this stage for this service. I get that we got to get a video the next hour, but we're going to get that the next hour because we're just going to talk right now. Okay, good. All right. Um, so <laughs> I've been told to stay inside the hash marks, so, um, which is normal for me, but right now I'm not going to do that. Uh, so so, so Moses, Mo, Mo, Moses has been called by God. He thinks he knows everything about himself, just like you think you know everything about yourself, but you don't. You don't understand God's capacity and what God would do in you. You def All of us, me, me included. We've created an image of ourselves that is real because we've created it. But it is not final. We've made it final because it's what we know. But it's not final because our God is capable of changing things. I want to show you something. It's, a, it's, an, ima it's an imagery that I've used for a lot of years now, and I just want to show it to you up here. It's the I am circle. So they're going to put that up. Yeah, the I am cycle. Everything in your life is a cycle. And that I am is the definition you have of yourself. It's, it's, it's the what you know about yourself. I know I am this. I know I am that. I know I am the other. The I am cycle works like this. Once I establish, once I receive, once I accept. And by the way, this label, this I am might be put on you by you. 
but it might have been put on you by somebody else. It might have been put on you by a parent. It might have been put on you by a sibling. It might have been put on you by people at school who were bullies to you. It might have been put on you by anything else. It might have been put on you by people who mean well or people who are trying to harm you. Anybody can put a label on you. In fact, can I be honest? We're really good at that these days. What we've become really good at in the last 25 years, I'm just, look, I'm old, all right? So deal with that. I'm 56. Okay, when I was a kid, you didn't label people. Nowadays, you automatically label people. In fact, we have entire departments at elementary schools that are designed to label our children so we can put them on, med on meds. If you need meds, you take them. Everybody's got that? I'm not coming against that. I'm just telling you, we label people constantly, and we're constantly, and once people get a label, they can't get rid of it. You are, you are, you are, and it's just constant in our society, and that label, that I am, it affects you, because once you receive it, it becomes your truth. That becomes your truth. That's the next slide. Once you receive that, it becomes your truth. So it, it, look, your truth then will set your thinking. I'm going external now. Internally, I've received this label. I make it my truth because I receive it. Whether I've chosen it myself, whether I've put it on myself, whether somebody else has put it on me, whether it's a diagnosis, whatever it might be, I receive it. It becomes my truth. So it sets my external thinking the way I think about the world around me. My thinking will determine my actions. Still external. Because it's how I'm acting. I act, Y'all, did you know you act the way you act because you think the way you think? It's absolutely true. If you accept a truth and you let it set your thinking, it will determine your actions. It will determine what you do. And then your actions establish habits. And those habits reinforce the label you put on yourself if you've allowed your truth to set your thinking and your thinking drive your actions, then your actions are going to naturally follow all of that and it's going to reinforce this label even though it's just what you know. It doesn't have to be what's real. So what, 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 why, why are you doing... Oh, my word. Pastor Brandon Dunn brought in a self-help dude. No, because honestly, there's not an easy escape from this in self-help world. I mean, some people break out of this. They do. Some people find a way out of it by their own strength. But I'm here to tell you that you don't have to do it that way. I'm here to tell you that God can change the I am in your life. God took Moses, who said, I can't even talk well. I'm not qualified. I'm a murderer. I am a, I am a fugitive. If I go back, they're going to kill me. If I go back, there's going to be trouble. If I go back, they're going to reject me. The Israelites have already rejected him. My take, when he killed the Egyptian soldier, the Egyptian soldier who was beating the Hebrew, the Hebrew slave when he was a young man, my take is he was trying to accomplish what God, he knew God had called him to do, but he was trying to do it by his own strength. He tried to start a revolution by his own strength as a young man, that God said, no, the time's not right, and that's not how we're going to do it. And so when he tried to start the revolution, all he got was in trouble. Some of y'all trying to do what you know God called you to do, and you've gotten in trouble for it because you've done it your way, not God's way. Somebody say amen. amen. Stay with me now. And it's not like God didn't call you to do that. It's just he didn't call you to do it that way or right now. 
You do realize, you know the old preachers used to say God answers every prayer as a yes, no, or a wait? And you hate the wait worse than the no. God's saying to Moses, yeah, that's who I made you to be. You are here to deliver these, these Israelites from their slavery. He knew that as a young man. He just did it the wrong way. He says, I'm a fugitive. I'm rejected. I've tried this. It didn't work. All of that's true. Now look at this cycle. If you take this cycle and you put a label in there, I am, I am. Let me give you one that I struggle with. I struggled with this from, since I was a kid. I am, I am a loser. I've struggled with this since I was a kid. I am incapable of overcoming. I've always struggled with that. I've always been taught that. My, my parents inadvertently taught me that. They did not mean to. My parents are awesome people. My mom is one of the best people on the planet. Everybody's got it, right? My stepdad was awesome. Everybody's got that. But they were not overcomers. And my mom kind of taught me, you're, you're never really going to overcome. Just trust the Lord and stay, stay humble and trust the Lord and he'll take you to heaven. And, and she meant well by that. You know, but, but honestly, I learned I'm not going to overcome. I'm going to be a loser. If I accept I'm a loser, then that is my truth because I've accepted it. That will set my thinking. What does that mean? That means I wake up every morning, no matter how much success I've seen in my life, I wake up every morning assuming today's the day I'm going to mess it all up. Today's the day. We're at the end now. That's it. It's been a good ride. We're done. Every day you think that way. That'll set your actions. That'll cause you to put things in place that will limit what God wants to do in your life because you don't want to cause too much trouble when you finally mess it up. Y'all all right? And then that sets your habits, which reinforces your definition of who you are. The, the, the truth is, this is a vicious cycle that you can't break loose from. However... The reason I'm not giving you a self-help sermon is that what breaks the cycle is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who gives you a new identity. Go to the next slide. What happens is God breaks through. And when God breaks through, go to the next slide. There is a new reset of who I am. I'm no longer a loser. Watch this. I'm a child of God. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm still a loser by the world standpoint. I'm still not going to succeed. I'm just going to heaven. That's what your mom taught you. Yeah, but, 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 but there's more than that. If I'm a child of God, then there are things God can do in and through me that I'm not capable of. Can, can, can somebody say amen right quick? Because that's true in your life too. There are things God can do in and through you that you're simply not capable of. You can accomplish more than you could ever imagine because you serve a God that is bigger and more capable than anything you ever imagined. We have to believe that. I have to be honest with you, that was my saving grace. Now, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Let's go to, you've got to know God. You've got to know yourself. We started with that one, but don't be limited by what you know. Okay? But you also got to know God. Now, look at this. This is in Exodus 14. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Now, Moses has gone to Egypt. He's listened to God. Aaron is speaking for him. He's shown the Egyptians his power. God has has brought all the plagues, which, by the way, if you ever have the chance to go through them, all the plagues are basically to a religious entity, a deity, a god of the Egyptians. And God basically says, I will use your gods against you because I am the God. And he overcomes every god the Egyptians have, including the Nile River itself and the firstborn son of Pharaoh who was supposed to be a god himself but couldn't even protect his own son. So God shows himself over all of the other gods. Say, wait, 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 wait. God shows himself over and above everything that defined Egyptian power. Wait, wait. God shows himself over and above everything that defines your limitations. Because our limitations become our gods because we bow at their... But God overcomes them. Now Moses has led the children of Israel out. And by the way, they went the wrong way. I don't know if you've ever studied it, but if you look at a map and you know they are here, they're going there, and then you look at where they go to the Red Sea, it's the wrong way. God told him to go that way. He said, don't, 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 don't pick on Moses. It ain't like his GPS messed up. All right? And they end up trapped. The imagery here, the, the space they're in, the Red Sea is in front of them, so there's water to the front. There's a cliff to one side. There's a cliff to another side, and there's one entrance into this spot. Great beach, lousy position to be in when the other army's coming at you. And and Pharaoh decides to come after him. Why? Well, because Pharaoh's a bad guy. No, because it, it, stay with me, y'all. Y'all are gonna get. Um, here's where I get in trouble. Because the entire labor force of Egypt just walked out, and they have no one to mow their yards. They have no one to cook their food. They have no one to clean their houses. They have no one to build their temples. Their labor force just walked out. Basically, Pharaoh's economic advisors came in and said, I realize what you just did, and we understand why, king, but we have no one to do the work now. And by the way, have you ever noticed that for the rest of the Old Testament, you never hear of the power of Egypt? Egypt is gutted when the nation of Israel walks out. And they walk out not just with Egypt's workforce, they walk out with Egypt's wealth because the people are so freaked out by all the plagues that basically when the Israelites say, hey, I need some stuff for the journey, the Egyptians hand them all their wealth and they walk out with the labor force and the entire wealth of the nation of Egypt and Egypt is paralyzed for generations to come. God takes away their greatest enemy in a moment where they didn't even raise a sword. Now they stand in front of, an, uh, in front of a sea. There's water to the front. There's cliffs to each side, and there's Pharaoh in the back. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. God told Moses, take that staff I gave you and lift it up, and I'll part. God, look, just, just think. God says, I'll part the waters, and you guys will go through on dry ground. Okay, I, I, know, I know you know the story. I know you've seen the movie. I, I, I get that. But back up a minute and be Moses. You're standing in front of a million people who are about to die. 
The words out of their mouths are, are, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? They don't believe in him. They're ready to elect a new leader and go back. All of that's happening. And God says, just pick up the stick. Think about this. Just hold your staff up and I'll part the water. You'll what? I'll part the water and you'll go right through. But Lord, even if you did that, the mud. The, the, but God, and uh, just, don't. Can you imagine that moment? Just, just for a moment, get in that one spot where Moses climbs up. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm making up an imagery. Climbs up on a rock. In front of everybody. Okay, Lord. If this doesn't work, he will look like a fool, and then they will kill him, and then they will all go back to Egypt in his entire life. Everything in his life he's ever worked for is on the line, and what God has told him to do is insane. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. I, I love the old imagery that the Israelites were kicking up dust as they went through. The, the, the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. No God, but don't underestimate his power. Always remember he's capable of more. That was my saving grace, by the way. I could preach because I believed the authority of God's word. I didn't believe my authority to preach it, but I believed the authority of God's word. Therefore, it was sinful for me to preach God's word without authority. So I learned to preach with authority, not because I thought I had any, but because I knew it was sinful for me to do anything else. See what God did? God turned it. That's what he's doing with Moses. Moses says, I know that I can't lift up this stick and part this sea, but I've watched God turn this stick into a snake. I've watched God turn my hand from leprous to clean. I've watched God bring all these plagues. I've watched God bring all these plagues on Egypt, but none of them hit the Israelites. I've watched God do so many things. Okay, Lord, let's try it. It's not his authority. It's God. But we still have to know God. Let me give you the second one. you got to know God. There's a second part to this because you've always, in the end, you are surrendered to God or you are not going to get it done. Everybody's got that? Moses went up on Mount Sinai and it says he stayed so long that the Israelites were afraid he was dead. This is the second time he's gone up. He comes back down. Comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Can I be honest? When God shines through you most powerfully, you're not even going to be aware he's doing that. You're not even going to realize it's happening. You're just going to turn around and say, oh, because people are going to react. It's going to shock you. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. All of a sudden, one who is broken and one who is incapable and one who can't speak, one Aaron is the one charged to speak for him. 
the one charged to speak for him is now intimidated by him. Not because of anything Moses did, but because of the presence of God on his face. And that's the issue. You must be defined by his presence, not what you know, not your reality. When we're defined by God's presence, not our reality, then God can flow through us and he can, he can shine through us. And then in the end, we've got to see what God sees. Back, at the, back in Deuteronomy, we're now at the end of Moses' life. He's, we get these words. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. This is after Moses has said to all the people, I'm old now and I can no longer be your leader. He, he's done and he knows that he's not going into the land. He's going to die before he goes into the promised land. God's going to bury him so that the Israelites don't venerate his bones and somehow worship Moses. God's just going to be, he, Moses got to exit stage left. For you must go with this people in the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and you, he will be with you. you will ne- he will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. See what God sees, not what you saw. Not what you saw. There's this interesting thing that happens at the end of Moses' life, and some scholars break it apart different ways. I'm going to give my take on it. When Moses goes back and describes what happened in Deuteronomy, it all happened in Exodus, right? But when Moses describes in Deuteronomy, now watch. Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He writes all five of those, okay? Moses writes Exodus. It seems to be written as it's happening. When Moses writes Deuteronomy, he's looking back at it, okay? He, he's describing it, and the, the stories come out slightly different. And, and they come out different and in such a way that I've heard some scholars say, Moses is, is recouping his image from Exodus in, in Deuteronomy. He, he's telling the story in a more flattering way to himself. I, I, I don't necessarily believe that he is as an old man trying to re- recover his image, I don't think that. Here's what I think. I think Moses is viewing it from a different perspective, from a new vantage point. And Moses is beginning to realize it's not that I'm anything, it's that God's everything. But God put me in this position. And because God has me in this position, I then have authority. I then have a power that is given by God for what he made me to do. Y'all all right? And because I have this, he begins to tell the story from a different perspective. Moses in Exodus seems insecure, seems unsure, seems willing to give up, seems willing to go back sometimes. Moses seems wishy-washy often in Exodus, but in Deuteronomy, Moses seems far more convinced and far more settled and far more confident. Why? Because in Deuteronomy, he writes it from the perspective of what God says he is. And in Exodus, he writes it in the perspective of what he might be and how he might be failing. God can change the way we see things. And when God changes the way we see things, he changes the way we think because our truth has shifted. That changes the way we act because our thinking has shifted. That changes our habits because our actions have shifted. And all of that reinforces the title God has given us, 
not the one that was imposed on us. So <clears throat> I've struggled for years with this whole confidence and being a leader thing, right? Nobody ever believes that because you hear me preach and there's a lot of authority to it, but remember, it's God's word. And it would be a sin. Let me just say, to anybody who's ever going to preach, don't you ever soft pedal God's word. Don't ever do that. It's God's word. It has authority. You must preach it with the authority that it has. Don't apologize for it. Don't back up from it. You don't have to be a jerk. Come on now. But you also can't be wishy-washy. I can tell you that even, even, even in middle age, this thing shifts on you. Your identity starts to change, and you start to wonder, well, what, what in the world am I supposed to do now? I can say for me, and I'm going to say it for you because I think, I think this is something you can apply on the front end. I can give you a perspective from the back end. A lot of things are changing in my world. You know, Brandon sat on the front row of our church in La Plata, and I was trying to redeem him from being an Ohio State fan. <laughs> I never accomplished that, you know. But God had called him to something else, and he's here. Theo joined our team, and Theo is clearly going to be the next pastor at La Plata. Okay, if the next pastor has arrived, what am I supposed to do? Robert has taken over a church that's now independent. That's my son. Taking over a church that's now independent. Doing its own thing. Dave is the one who runs our online church, and I may be the preacher, but man, he's the one that makes everything happen. But God got hold of me one day. I walked into one of our buildings, and okay, everybody stay with me. I'm going to go a little bit ooga booga on you. Y'all all right? Okay, because I believe this stuff, and and... You receive it for what it's worth. Walked into one of our buildings one day and it wasn't right. It was the wrong spirit there. And um, I said, Lord, I thought to myself, Lord, I got to call Shannon and have her come pray this out. Because she's the prophetic in our church that comes and kills all the demons, you know. Not literally. We're not in there. Just stay with me. But God said, I didn't call her to be the leader here. I called you to that. This is still your ground. And if you don't claim it in my name, it won't be claimed. I didn't call. I didn't call Aaron to part the sea. I called Moses to do that. I, 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 I didn't call Aaron to do this. Other, I called my. You know who was walking with him the whole time Moses was doing this? Joshua. I didn't call Joshua to lead the children out of Egypt. I called Moses. And as long as Moses stands here, Moses must take authority. All of that came flooding in on me. And I realized. I may not be the one on the stage all the time anymore, but I'm still the one that has to claim the ground. And here's what I want you to understand. You're on new ground. Well, it's new to you. But it's not new to God. But he's called you to claim it. Every square inch of it.
I think you should walk the borders of this property on a, on a daily, if not a, on a weekly at least, if not a daily basis. And I think you need to claim that ground. I used to walk the, 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 the perimeter of that new life property and I would claim the ground and I would ask God every time I did it to bless this ground so deeply that when people set foot, when their cars turn in on the parking lot, something changed in their heart and they felt it. God did that. You say, oh, you're getting weird now. <laughs> yeah, God's weird. You remember? Stick, ocean. I love the phrase in C.S. Lewis's book, when they finally come to, when the children come into contact with Aslan, the character for Jesus. They say, is he safe? And the response is, no, he's not safe. He's wild. What an image of God. What an image. Is he safe? No. No. But he's good. You hear that? What I'm calling you to is a claiming of a piece of ground in the midst of a community and a society that desperately needs the reality of who God has called them to be. Don't, I mean, here's where we're going to get blunt, all right? Don't you ever, all of you listen to me. If you've been asleep the whole time, wake up! Listen to me. Don't you ever allow yourselves to view this as the little church at New Post. This is the point from which God will change lives and futures and communities and societies. Don't be limited by what you see. Live in what God sees. Holy Spirit, in this moment and in this place, I ask that you would do a work. I ask that you, Lord, would speak to us. Lord, I've spoken in very big, broad terms here. We've talked about Moses and Israel and parting seas and changing communities and societies. But Lord, let me stop just a minute. Let's get down to just individual people here. Somebody here views themselves in a way that is not what you've chosen for them and is not your best for them. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would speak into that life. However many are here, Lord, someone is dealing with a label that has left them limited and they're hurt by it. They're offended by it every time they hear it, but they've received it because they think it's true for them. Let's set them free from it right now. Lord, let us hear your word. Give us a reset in our reality. And let us be part of the answer you have for the culture around us. God, I praise you for what you're doing here. I praise you for Brandon and Aaliyah. I praise you for every leader that is in this church, every person that has done anything this morning to make this happen. Thank you, God, for sending them. Use them. And Lord, right here, right here, would you spin up a story of your greatness 
that can only point to you. And we will give you praise for everything we do. In your name we pray.